Beloved, I have one goal this morning, um, just one. God has impressed upon me the importance of refreshing his people with the truth of the gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus. And so that is exactly what I plan to do for you here this morning. But I'm also convinced that I can't do it by myself. So would you join me in prayer? Would you ask that the Holy Spirit would come and teach us this morning and encourage us in the gospel? So Lord Spirit, we do come. We do ask you, would you be here in a way that is different than normal? Would you encourage our hearts this morning? Would you convince us of the gospel anew? And would you help us to look forward to the coming of our Lord and Savior in a way that maybe we haven't before? Spirit, this is your work. Only you can do it. I pray that you would use me this morning. Open our hearts to hear what you would have for us. And it's in Jesus' name and for the good of his church that we pray. Amen. Now, before we get into our text this morning, I want to share something a little personal with you. I've had this experience with my son. My son is a little over two years old now, and he really, really loves music. In fact, when we were at home uh, with COVID, watching the service um, from our living room on the computer, he would look at Gabe in particular, and he would say, he played guitar, I play guitar. And he'd run and grab a little broom and he would pretend he was playing guitar. And he would say, Gabe, wear a hat, I wear a hat. And he'd run and he would grab a beanie and he'd put a hat on and he'd just sit there and sing along with Gabe. And it was great. My son loves music. And even before he could talk, he loved music. It was one of the only ways that we could get him to go to sleep when he was real little. And inevitably, when I started singing to my son, I found myself singing songs that had a consistent theme. I'm the youngest in my family. I didn't have the opportunity to sing lullabies to younger brothers and sisters. I don't know any lullabies. So I would sing him songs that I know. And as it turns out, metal songs is just not a good way to get a baby to go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> so instead, I would sing hymns to him, and I started to notice that these hymns had a common theme. I'm going to read you a few verses, see if you can pick it out. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change a leopard's spots and melt the heart of stone. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died, my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy will fill my heart? Then I will bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong oft seems so strong, God is ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. 
And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. There are more, I'm sure, but these are the ones that I remember. And these are the ones that I remember singing to my son. And I was trying to figure out why these. You know, it, it, when you're singing the same songs every night for the course of six months, you start to wonder about things, right? I started to think, why these songs? Why do I remember these songs? They have two common threads. And we tend to pay attention to things that we care about, don't we? It's really easy to check out when we're reading a boring book. So easy. I can't tell you how many times during seminary I had to reread paragraphs because they were written really dryly. <laughs> but when we care about something and we're really into it, it's really easy to remember. And I found myself paying attention to these two threads because when they are coming across in song, it's effective and helpful to build us up as Christians. The first thread is this. These hymns, along with many others, preach the gospel. They teach us God's loving kindness in sending Jesus to die for our sins and that if we put our faith in him, we can be cleansed of our sins and have unity with God. And that is a glorious truth. That is a truth that is worth perking your ears up for and paying attention. But the second one is the one that we don't really talk about a whole lot and it will be the primary focus of today. And that is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, and it's exciting. But oftentimes, we're, we're not so excited about it, are we? See, uh, for me personally, I have this tendency to swing back and forth between two emotional extremes because I'm a terribly capricious person on the inside, even though I don't show it very often. I swing back and forth because sometimes I'm so excited about that day when Jesus, who has saved me and who is coming back for me, I'm so excited to see him because I know that when I do, I will sin no more. And I will be made new. I will be resurrected. And so will you, church, if you do put your faith in Christ. When Jesus comes, we will be made like him. And never again will we give in to rage, lust, pride, any sort of defiling passions, no more. Instead, we will be made whole. We will be made righteous. And never again will we have to worry about it. We'll be able to worship him truly and rightly as he deserves. And sometimes that thought moves me to tears when I'm on this side of the pendulum. But sometimes, because sometimes I have a tender conscience, I pervert in my mind what that day will look like and I get a little scared and the pendulum swings to the other side and rather than the excitement of a bride waiting for her husband to come and get her, instead it morphs into terror of the king who is coming as judge over all the earth to punish his adversaries. And I don't want him to come back when I'm on this side. I'd like to say that I spend more time on the positive side, excited that Jesus is coming back, but if I'm honest, I have a tender conscience and I know how bad I am. 
And that's why I need these hymns. That's why I need teachings about the gospel is because it is a much needed salve, a much needed medicine for my sin sickness. And I have a feeling that some of you are like me. Some of you also have particularly tender consciences and we read passages in Matthew 25 where he separates the sheep from the goats and he says, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And we get a little nervous. Or even worse, we read Matthew 7 where he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus speaking, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, many of us read those passages and we start to bite our nails a little bit because that resume is much more impressive than mine. They can stand before God and say, I cast out demons. I haven't had the opportunity yet. And I don't know if I have that gifting should the opportunity come. I have not done almost anything that they have said here. And so again, I just, we, we tend to get a little nervous. And I, I think I'm probably not the only one. So what are we supposed to do this when, when we know how far we fall short? What are we supposed to do with it? Well, by God's goodness to his people, he did not leave us without answers. Indeed, most of the New Testament gives us good hope and encouragement and strong, strong words of exhortation towards the end that we can see assurance of our salvation. Some of it is really simple. First John makes it really simple. It's too simple for an entire sermon, so we're not doing that one today. Uh, <laughs> Paul, in, in his letters, uh, throughout the course of the letter, he tells us how we can be sure that we are bearing fruit and walking with the Spirit. And I'm not going to read an entire letter of Paul for you this morning. Instead, we're going to go with Peter, because I like Peter. I like Peter quite a bit. So if you would, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're also going to be putting um, the verses up on the screen, because in order to break through some of the familiarity of this, we're going to take a different approach. We're going to begin with the end in mind. We're talking a lot about Jesus coming back, and it just so happens, I did not plan this, but it just so happens, that today is the Jewish holiday Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. It is the next big feast on God's redemptive calendar. We got to see Passover fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross as the true and final Passover lamb. We got to see the Feast of First Fruits fulfilled when the Spirit came at Pentecost, which is the Feast of First Fruits. And we see throughout the Old Covenant, there are types and shadows all along the way. And it just so happens that the Feast of Trumpets is a type and shadow of when Jesus will come back. The trump will resound. Huh? I asked if we had any trumpet players because I was going to get a little do-do-do-do, but apparently we don't anymore. So you're just going to have to imagine it. Um, so... Beginning with the end in mind, we're actually going to work through this passage backwards. So, if you would, can we get the slide for 1, 13 through 15, and read along with me. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. The book of 2 Peter is the last letter that Peter wrote. And evidently, 
Jesus gave Peter a special grace saying, I'm going to take you soon. Get your affairs in order. And so when Peter takes this mindset of, okay, I'm going to die soon. What should I do? He sits down to write a letter. He sits down to encourage the church with the most important things so that even after he dies, the church can remember certain things. Take a moment and feel the weight of that. This is Peter. This is the right-hand man of Jesus, the clear leader among the apostles. This is the same guy that walked on water with Jesus. What he has to say should matter to us particularly with the mindset that he understands he might not get to say anything else. And he wants to make sure that we can remember these things. So, he makes two primary points in the book of 2 Peter. Um, and we're going to focus primarily on the first one. But the second one is worth mentioning. Because the second one is about false teachers and their teachings. And he spends a good chunk of time warning the church against the false teachers and the teachings that are coming in and are going to destroy the church and lead many astray. And if possible, even the elect, which is a scary thought. And so I want you guys, before we actually dive into the text today, to take a moment and thank God for your elders who are like-minded enough with the Apostle Peter that they wanted to take time to warn you as well. Because there is false teaching out there. There are false teachers out there that want you to die that want you to separate your faith from Christ. And our elders saw fit to go through an entire series about the false teachers in our cultures. So thank God for elders who are at least as smart as Peter. You know, thank God. But we're gonna be focusing on a different direction today um, because I didn't wanna do that. <laughs> so instead we're going to be looking at his first and primary point. Um, so let's look at the next section. It's going to be 8 through 12 now. He says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I always intend to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, there are certain qualities that he lists right before his section um, that he now tells us some important things about. We'll get to those qualities in a minute. Hold your horses. Um, but for now... Look at the promises that come along with these qualities. Uh, in verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good promise. Peter tells us that there are certain qualities that if we have them and if we are increasing in them, we will be effective in our knowledge of Jesus and that we will be fruitful in our knowledge of Jesus. That's excellent. This is something that we should know. 
This is something that we should actually pursue. And in fact, just a little bit later, I'm sorry, I don't have the verse for it, um, but just a little bit later, he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That is also a very good promise. You see, because this is the answer for those of us that are biting our nails at chapter 7 in Matthew. How do we know if we are among the elect? How do we know if we are part of God's chosen people? If there are ones that are casting out demons and prophesying and they don't get to make the cut, then how can we have assurance at all? Peter gives us a list of qualities. Tells us to pursue them. And in pursuing these qualities, we are diligently confirming our calling and election. <laughs> um, this is the answer. This is something that we can actually grab and hold on to. It's something tangible. Uh, a lot of my life, I've had this kind of swinging back and forth, uh, a lot of my Christian life, that is. And the answer that I so often got when I said to somebody, like, well, how do I know if I'm really Jesus's? The answer that I got so often was, well, if you're asking the question, that's probably a good sign. What a cop-out. That's not how Scripture talks about it at all. No, Scripture shows that there is evidence in your life, and you can observe it. And not only that, but through the empowerment of God, you can pursue it. You can grow. You actually have a hand in your sanctification in the same way that you had a hand in your salvation. Yes, we believe that God saves. God is responsible for your salvation from beginning to end. You have a part to play. Initially, you come in faith. You repent of your sins. And as you're being sanctified, you continue to repent of your sins and you pursue these qualities. We're going to get to them in a minute, I promise. But let's look at one more thing that Peter says in the positive light. And then we'll talk about what he says in the negative light. In the positive light, after saying, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. He says, for... In this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a phrase. Let's just keep that up on the screen for a minute. <laughs> what a phrase. I tend to think about Judgment Day going something like this. It'll be my turn in line. I'll come up and Jesus will open the book and say, oh, Dan Beck, yeah, that list is long. <sighs> okay, well, let's, let's go over it. And he's gonna go down everything that I have ever done wrong, every sin I have ever committed, every terrible thought that I've ever had. And we're gonna be there for a while. <laughs> he's gonna get to the end and say, wow. Yeah, you're awful. I mean, but I guess I did pay for you, so come on in, I guess. Like, by some sort of technicality or loophole, I'll shuffle my way into heaven. That's how I tend to think of it. And when I say it out loud, we all know it's ridiculous, but you're guilty too, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, you do it too. It's not just me. That's never, ever, ever how the Bible talks about Judgment Day for those who are in Jesus. 
No, rather it uses words like there will be richly provided an entrance for you. There's going to be a welcome party. That's awesome. And we, we kind of understand this a little bit, but I don't think that we genuinely believe it. There's this passage in Luke, I think, I forgot to get the reference, but where um, he's talking about the rejoicing over the woman who has 10 coins and loses one. She's going to throw a party, but when she finds that last one that she lost, right? The 99 sheep, there's going to be rejoicing when he finds that sheep that he lost. And in the same way, the angels rejoice when one sinner repents of his sin. There is a party in heaven when somebody is converted to Jesus. How much more so when we're actually revealed as sons of God will there be excitement and joy? This is something that we should be looking forward to. The book of Revelation calls it the wedding feast of the Lamb. We are his people. Yes, that's true. But one of the images that it uses is that we are the bride of Christ. No husband should ever, ever, ever be standing at the altar waiting for his bride to come and say, oh, well, I mean, I guess. That's nonsense. That's not how it works. We are excited because there she is in all her glory. There she is in her white dress ready for the groom. It's an exciting moment. If we continue to pursue these qualities and if we continue to increase in them, Peter promises us with the power of the Holy Spirit as the author of Scripture, he promises us that there will be richly provided for us an entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We shouldn't be biting our nails, brothers and sisters. We should be joyfully expecting our husband to come and get us. So at this point, you're probably asking, well, okay, what, uh, yeah, we get it. There's, there's a lot of exciting things, but you said there was something negative. What is the negative bit that we're talking about? Well, he mentions right in between this sandwich of glory, this one little bit of terribleness, that the, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. As much as Peter amps up the fact that we practice these qualities as Christians and we will be richly provided an entrance into the kingdom, he also says, if you're not practicing them, if you're not growing in them, you have forgotten the gospel. And that's a terrible indictment. And we could dwell on that, but I don't have the time today, so we're not going to. Instead, the next question you should be asking is, okay, Dan, what are the qualities? Let's get to the qualities. Let's get to the list. So let's read that. It is going to be... Sorry, I got this tablet. I'm not used to it yet. <laughs> Verses 5 through 7. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Look first at the word supplement. Supplements, we understand in our American culture anyway, are something that we don't normally get in our diet that's missing. And so in order to make ourselves healthier, in order to make ourselves stronger, maybe we take a multivitamin. 
So that's the kind of imagery that I think is really helpful when we're considering these. You need them all. You can't pick and choose and say, well, as long as I'm growing in brotherly affection, I don't need to grow in godliness. That's not how it works. All of these are part of a healthy, balanced diet brought to you by General Mills, okay? So, <laughs> fine. Cereal jokes aren't funny. I get it. So we're going to look at each of these briefly in turn, um, starting with the last one and going forward. Can we get the list up there, please? First, we have love. This is the self-sacrificial love that Jesus showed in the gospel. And on the night before he died, he commanded us to show one another. This is the kind of love that hurts a little bit when we are building somebody else up. It's the kind of love that is giving of ourselves. And this one needs no supplement. Because in love, the totality of the law, all of Jesus' commandments are fulfilled. However, Peter was gracious enough to give us a little bit more. And I think that the reason that he ends with this one is to bring to our memory the fact that this is what Jesus commanded. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another the same way I loved you. That's a heavy commandment but it's also very open to interpretation if we stay with the summary. So instead, Peter gives us a little bit of the flavor of this love with the rest of them. He starts with brotherly affection. This is the word phileo for all you linguophiles. See what I did there? No? Okay. Uh, it's a friendly, warm kind of love. It's the kind of love that wants to share a meal. The kind of love that asks how you're doing, how your week went, and actually cares. It's the kind of love that we have for people that are like us. And in this room, we have a great amount of diversity. We don't agree with each other on everything, and we have different tastes. Um, we have some people in here that really, really, really like fishing, and I'm allergic to fish. We have to find common ground elsewhere. <laughs> Not thinking of anybody in particular, but you know, there's, there's some. Um, but this is something that we need to grow in. It's something that we need to supplement in our walk with Christ. It's the kind of love that wants to bring people into your home and play games. Brotherly affection. We also see godliness, which is a general term meaning holy or upright. Um, Paul tells us in Colossians that the mystery of godliness is Jesus himself. And so maybe a, a little bit more clear or a better way for us to understand and wrap our mind around it, instead of godliness as a general ethereal term, is to think about it as Christ-likeness. In what way are we growing to be more like Jesus? Steadfastness, a term meaning patient or long-suffering, enduring. We stick with it. We persevere in our faithfulness to Jesus and in our faithfulness to the church. Um, it's, it's much more than simply not denying Christ until you die. It's much more than that. Steadfastness has to do with the intentional, deliberate carrying through of the good things that he has commanded you. It's being consistent. And it makes sense that that's what we have to supplement self-control with. Self-control is one more or less self-explanatory, but when it comes down to it, it's the ability to tell yourself no. To tell yourself no when you want sinful things. And also to be able to tell yourself no when you want to stop doing righteous things. It's the ability to make it so that you are controlled and going in a particular direction. Then we have knowledge. Specifically, I believe, the knowledge pertaining to the faith. More on this in a minute. Uh, virtue or excellence. It's a general term for goodness, but specifically of the highest quality. 
Have you noticed that so far, most of these are outward? I mean, knowledge, sure, we'll talk about that in a minute, though. But most of these are outward-focused. Paul gives us the fruits of the spirits in, uh, in Galatians, and a lot of those we tend to think of as like inward qualities, inward qualities that make up who we are and how we think on the inside. Peter's list is almost entirely about how we are affecting outward. These are actions. These are things that you can display. And they're things that we grow in. And excellence, I think, is probably a better word because, again, it's, it's seeking to be of the highest quality. And lastly, or rather firstly, we have faith. It all begins with faith. Trust in Jesus. In fact, even practicing the rest of these qualities is kind of worthless if you don't have faith. The same way that feeding a multivitamin to a corpse isn't going to make it healthy. You know, you have to be alive first for a multivitamin to do anything. <laughs> you get the idea. Uh, <laughs> we have to be connected to Jesus by faith for any of this to mean anything. So let me ask you, do you wish to be a more faithful follower of Jesus? Do you wish to increase in these qualities? How do you even do that? Let's make no mistake, um, this is a very tall order because these are things that we don't necessarily want to do. They're not fun. Well, brotherly affection can be fun. But it's a tall order. He's asking a lot from us. And let's be honest. Let's make no mistake. He's requiring this from us. It's not as though we passively grow in faith. It's not as though we passively grow in brotherly affection, etc. This is something that takes work. That's why he uses phrases uh, later saying, make every effort to supplement your faith at the beginning of this. And then later, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. It's gonna take effort on your part. It's gonna take a lot of effort. He uses pretty strong words. This is something that we need to be very intentional about. But then how? How are we to do this? By what means? Again, it starts with faith, right? In faith, we have the power of Holy, the Holy Spirit working alongside us. And Jesus tells us that the point of sending the Holy Spirit on earth was to build the church up and to convict the world concerning sin and to teach what was left to be taught. That's in John 16, if you want to go study that later. Don't have time for it this morning. The Holy Spirit, through faith, will help us build this up. And I think a lot of us want to know then, how do we strengthen our faith? I have this faith, but it seems really small when I look at this list because it doesn't seem like I can do that. Primarily, we strengthen our faith by expanding our understanding of the object of our faith. It's not as though faith itself is what makes us strong. No, faith has an object. We're putting trust in something or someone. And when we expand the object of our faith and make it bigger in our minds, faith obediently follows. And so our faith as Christians is in Jesus and his promises. And there we have everything that we need. Let's look at the next section, verses three and four. Peter writes, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. 
who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his very precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Through the knowledge of him. What a simple phrase. And what a power-packed phrase. See, this is why I love Peter. He's obviously not well-educated. He just gets right to the point. He doesn't have flowery terminology. He just says what he means so that you can get to it right away. You have everything that you need for life and for godliness because you know Jesus. And in fact, it was Jesus' divine power that has given you everything that you need through the knowledge of him. This same power that rose Lazarus from the dead just by saying, come on out. This same power that calmed the seas with a single word. This same power that spoke and creation came to be. That power has given you, Christian, everything that you need. This should be an incredible comfort to us. Through the knowledge of him, which is just so simple. I'm going to ask you one more time. Do you want to be a more faithful follower of Jesus? If you do, you have everything that you need to do it. Know Jesus. Well, how do we know and grow in our knowledge of Jesus? So simple. I used to make fun of churches as a, before I was a believer because I would visit churches with my friends and then I'd make fun of them and try to tear apart their faith because I was a wicked, awful sinner. And one of the best things was every church without fail would mention during a sermon, you should read your Bible more, you should pray more. And I was like, that's really dumb. <laughs> and as a non-Christian, I <laughs> looked at that and I said, well, they're just asking you to waste your time with a book that doesn't even matter and they're asking you to talk to the air and that's just so dumb. But it was because I didn't understand that there was somebody listening. It's because I didn't understand that the Bible is a powerful and effective tool that God uses to grow his people. It is through reading scripture that we see Jesus in his fullness, both old and new. You read the Old Testament, you see shadows and types like Passover. I just strongly encourage you guys, go read the Passover account in Exodus. Go read it with the knowledge that this is fulfilled in Jesus on the cross and you're gonna see it. And through the Holy Spirit opening your eyes, you will revel in the glory that Jesus was the death of the firstborn. I'm not going to get into it all right now, but it's glorious and you should go and look. Go look at the Feast of first fruits. Go look at when um, Joshua led Israel into the promised land and they blew a trumpet and the walls of their enemies fell down and they fled because that's exactly what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Look to the Old Testament to see the glory of Jesus. Look to the Gospels to see how the man Jesus interacted with other human beings, both hypocrites and those who needed him and wanted him. Look to the epistles to see his commands uh, and look to see how we can obey him better. And look to Revelation for good hope on the fact that he is coming back. The scripture in its totality will increase your knowledge of Jesus. And when we go to him in prayer, we have one-on-one -on -one time where we as the bride of Christ as an individual and as an expression of his church, we get to speak to him. And oftentimes, he tenderly meets us. Prayer and reading 
are some of the best ways to know Jesus more. And this, this is something that we should keep in mind, not just as a, an exercise, because that's what it becomes so, so often, is just a routine, right? And we start to lose the meaning of it. But when you are pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can grow in godliness, now all of a sudden, instead of just being a check mark on your list, this is life-giving sustenance that you need, otherwise you will die. And it becomes something sweet. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I keep this mindset all the time. In fact, if I'm honest with you guys, it's not a daily occurrence that I read Scripture. And on my bad weeks, it's not a daily occurrence that I pray. However, when we have this in mind, it makes it so that we understand the purpose of it and we want to pursue it. There's more than this, though. More than just pursuing our relationship with Christ. No, there's also the fact that he has given to us his precious and very great promises. And through the promises, we become, or we may become, partakers of the divine nature. The promises in the new covenant in scripture are threefold, and I'm just going to go over them really briefly. Uh, the first promise is that we will be cleansed from our sins. The Old Testament uses the phrase sprinkled clean a couple of times when it's talking about the New, Test or the New Covenant. If we are in Christ, one of the promises that he has made to us is that those who are in faith towards him, that have put their trust in him, you are cleansed from your sins. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. The second promise is that the Holy Spirit will be given to empower us towards godly living that he will put his law within our hearts and that, the, that we will be new, that we will have a new spirit. It's the new covenant has batteries include, included. We have God himself dwelling in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we have everything that we need to pursue godliness. That's a wonderful promise. We should trust in that. And then lastly, that Jesus will come back. And when he does, he will make all things new. And if we are faithful until the end, we will rule with him. I don't know exactly what that means, but it's exciting to think about. It's important to note that he uses this as a backdrop for the qualities that he's listed. This is the reason. Let me read it forwards for you guys so that you can, you can get that. I'm going to start in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his promises, and, uh, sorry, precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith. What reason? The fact that he has given you precious and very great promises. That's why we do this. Is because Jesus is coming back. Is because Jesus has cleansed us from our sins. And because Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to empower us, seal us, and keep us until he comes back. Now with that in mind, supplement your faith. Pursue these things. Can we get the list up one more time, Lucy? Pursue these things. You might already be doing pretty well in some of these categories. Pursue the rest of them. Don't let one of them slide. You need all of them. 
for a healthy, balanced Christian diet. Pursue these, and if you do, and if you are growing in these qualities, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of heaven when our Savior comes to bring it in its fullness. I want to give you one last word of encouragement from the greeting. So let's look at verses 1 through 3 now. How Peter begins the letter. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Two things that are significant about this greeting in light of everything that we've already talked about. First, this is coming from the Apostle Peter, and I want to remind you again that this was an incredibly good man. That Peter walked on water. That Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And that Peter saw the crucifixion and the resurrection firsthand. And Peter was given personally the command by Jesus, go and feed my sheep, go and tend my flock. This Peter now says that you, to whom he is writing, have an equal standing in faith with him. That's pretty humbling. The faith that you have in Christ is the same faith that Peter had. That's humbling. The second thing is that in his blessing, it's not a standard blessing. It's not something that he's just doing because it's the thing to do when you're writing a letter. But no, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. This is the point in writing his letter, so that grace and peace may be multiplied to you. Everything we've talked about so far, knowing Jesus giving you everything that you need for life and godliness, examples of what godliness looks like, and remembering that this is one of the most important things because Jesus is coming back. This is how he wants to multiply to you grace and peace. And especially with our current series, that's just something that we need. We need the peace of God in our lives. We need the grace of God so that even though there are enemies who want to see us destroyed, we can love them just as Jesus commanded and show them grace despite the fact that they want to destroy us. And indeed, we have everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. So for this purpose, supplement your faith accordingly. And by your effort and God's grace, you will see Jesus coming back in glory with excitement that he is welcoming you into his kingdom. So seek him now and make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Wait for him with joyful expectation, saying along with the spirit and the church at the end of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, come. So Dave, would you come and pray for us?